0: Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm so grateful you're here today. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Kimberly Espinel. Kimberly is a London-based food photographer, educator, and very recently, author of the book, Creative Food Photography. Kimberly also hosts the popular and informative food blogging podcast titled Eat, Capture, Share, and hosts the seasonal food photography challenge over on Instagram by the same title, Eat, Capture, Share. Of all the things I've admired about Kimberly since I came across her community, the thing I admire most is her utter fearlessness, fearlessness and focus. Today, Kimberly shares how her origin story was fraught with difficulties and a loneliness that shaped her into a tenacious, brave, and empathetic woman whose greatest strength is her ability to connect with people of diverse backgrounds, including those who, like her, often found themselves in the place of the other. Whatever our origin stories, if we desire to be more fearless and more focused in our life's work, Kimberly's story and words and philosophy can tell us how. And that is why I am thrilled to introduce Kimberly Espinel to the podcast today. Hey, Becky. Hey, Kimberly. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. I feel like this has become a monthly thing. I'm going to miss it in January. (laughs) (laughs) So my audience of listeners, it spans a lot of different groups, but Mm -hmm. one of those groups is the food photography community. Mm -hmm. And in that community... You are really a superhero. I think in that community, you have spearheaded a lot of things that are really big now. You know, this whole collaboration and challenge thing that's going on in Instagram absolutely started you know, with Eat, Capture, Share, a lot of styling trends just visually started with your work. We're going to talk about this later, but now people are going to be learning from you and your book. You started a podcast. I think you're actually one of the few Hmm. in the food photography community. I don't know if there's another one that does a podcast. Yes,
1: I think there's two that were there before me, Food Blogger Pro and Chopped. Those were the two that I knew you know, there's a lot of food podcasts, but not those are the only two food blogger ones that I know.
0: Food blogger ones. Exactly. So you've spearheaded a lot of things and you've helped a lot of people and you're clearly beloved in your community. So those are all the marks Of a superhero. And I was thinking for this podcast, it really made me think of the word origin story. You know, if you watch the Marvel (laughs) movies or read comics or whatever, everybody, it always goes back to the origin story. And, um, That's what I just got really excited about when I started to write questions because honestly, Kimberly, I couldn't find a mm. lot about your origin story. I think you're very motivated by helping people and by moving mm. forward. And so I'm excited to take some time to look back.
1: Yes. You know, it's very interesting that you s- use that superhero because a lot of mm. times the story, the origin story of a lot of superheroes of are- It's very tragic, you know, Mm -hmm. thinking about Superman. He loses his parents very tragically and then (laughs) sent to Earth and what have you. And in a way, I wouldn't say my origin story is tragic, Mm -hmm. but there's pain and loss in there in that, you know, my parents separated when I was very, very little. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up without my father. I grew up with my mom. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting is, you know, when you look at me, I think, you know, a lot of people look at me, they don't, they can't quite place me ethnically mm-hmm. as it were. Mm-hmm. But I think when I look in the mirror, I see a Hispanic woman. That's who I see. And that's actually, my, my dad is Colombian. So it's, it's from him that I, oh. I get the way that I look. And of course I didn't grow up with him. So, you know, there is, there is that loss that mm-hmm. was there, but then also, you know, growing up with a mom who had to fill both mm. the shoes of, of a mom and then the shoes of a dad as well mm. as a single single woman. And she was, she still is really remarkable. And, um, you know, I, I lived with my grandparents for a little while mm. till she got herself on their feet. And then when I went to live with her, she just, you know, she went from doing evening classes and business to really working her way up and um, doing really well for herself. Mm. So I think what that meant is that I know what it's like not to have very much. Mm. (laughs) And I also know what it's like to work hard and then achieve Mm. and obtain the things that you want. And so, yes. and, And I think what that has given me is a lot of empathy mm-hmm. you know because mm-hmm. to miss somebody and i know what it's like mm. not to have the things that all the other children have mm. uh, yeah that's kind of that's my beginning mm. <laughs> and then my mom is she's from an island called curacao oh she is a um you know some people know it some people don't but it's a very tiny island just off the coast of venezuela just um just above um yeah south america but it's actually a dutch colony so because of that she has a dutch passport and i have a dutch passport and oh. um when when my parents separated we went to live in in holland because that you know that's where work was and and that's where my grandparents were living at the time so you know that that's the other added element to my origin story is you know i was this kind of weird looking kid in a predominantly white more mm. than European community. And that's really where my beginnings were as it mm. as it were. So mm-hmm.
0: I see that. I see that. I see that. And it explains a lot about both your drive for mm. success and your heart for service. Because you've seen that the only life you can have is the one you make for yourself. That's what your mother did. Yes.
1: That's correct. And so, you know, and I know what, what it's like to suffer. And, and so I don't want, you know, that's, that's always been my thing. Like, how can I make things better for people as it were? Yeah.
0: So, yeah. yeah, To really empower people and give them the tools. That's right.
1: Because mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I, you know, and a lot of times another theme that I think is woven through my work is I really want people to feel that I see them you know mm. what i mean? like it's the theme song of my podcast and mm. it's something i notice a lot as well with the challenge you know people mm. want their work to be seen people want mm. to know that you understand what they were trying to communicate with their image mm-hmm. you they they want you to see how much work went into that mm-hmm. and that because you know Like all of us, I wanted to be seen. I wanted people to see that I was there, that I was doing Mm -hmm. my best, that I existed. And, you know, when you're much shorter than everybody else Mm -hmm. in your class, so it's something I can really empathize with and really understand. Mm -hmm. And again, it's something that's part of how I teach, part of how, Mm -hmm. what my brand is. Mm You know, I want everybody to be seen. I want everybody to know that they
0: matter. And to not just be seen as you were in Holland for being different or for the things they might immediately notice about you, but again, to see what you are capable of, what your work is, what you're putting into this life to try to, at that point in your life, survive.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, I had a lot of, I always say this, like I always felt loved. I always Mm. felt loved. And add to that, you know, I'm a really hard worker. Mm-hmm. I was just, so I had a, I had that, I had that strong attachment to my, my mom and feeling really secure in that. And then also, you know, I excelled in school. It was just, I was just really good,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, at at, ev- at everything really, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. maths and writing and, and that put me in a position of, of some power and within a feeling of being powerless, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, that really carried me through and and that also helped me because eventually my mom you know worked her way up worked her way up and then she yeah. was transferred and we moved to live in germany actually oh, okay. and so you know I was again thrown into the deep end but i i had the i knew i'm good at things
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i'm you know i have got my mom mm-hmm. and so i'm going to be okay you know what mm-hmm. i mean and yes. so yeah that's kind of what, how i how i take as <laughs> it far. were
0: Yes, yes, I appreciate that so much. Yes, there's nothing like finding that early success to have the confidence to try new things and try new things and try new things and knowing that if you get knocked down you, you that's that's okay. It was just a circumstance. You are capable. You kind of always knew that you were capable.
1: Yes, and I think that helped me through a lot, but also I never forgot Mm -hmm. where I can really understand what it feels like when when things aren't that great. Mm -hmm. So I think I have both. I have that drive, I have that ambition, I have that energy and that really strong work ethic because that's what was modeled to me. Mm. I also have empathy, just how I approach other human beings. That's not to say I can't be pretty horrible sometimes like well we all, yes you know like I'm human totally human definitely not superhero yes but that is underlying that's an underlying thing and that's a, that's a value yeah. that's important to me
0: yeah well as we talk about that kind of confidence and being able to do whatever you want i noticed that you started your food career your food photography career, kind of, well, you actually say, you say, this blog is essentially the result of my mini midlife crisis. You know, when you stop and reflect on who you are and what's important to you and suddenly realize that your dreams and hopes are taking a bit of a back seat. So what was the catalyst? What made you say, Mm -hmm. I'm not happy here. Let's make a big change. You know, I've done it before. I've gone from Holland to Germany. I've done this. I've done that. I can do it again. What made you say it's time for a change?
1: Having my child. So that uh, was, yeah. mm-hmm. yes. So mm-hmm. uh, giving birth to my son was, f- for many women is, mm-hmm. you know, really transformative experience. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to be with him all the time. Mm-hmm. And here, we're actually very lucky that we get a year's maternity pay. <laughs> and, then, you know, with lots of other little bit, bits and pieces, yeah, you accrue your, your, holiday time. So actually I stayed home with him for almost 18 months. Mm. And if it's for me, every woman is different. Every person needs to make the decision for them. But for me, I still wasn't ready to hand him over yeah. <laughs> to, you know, essentially a stranger. Yeah. So I went back to work, but I was like, I, I I don't feel that this is where I need to be. I want to find work that fits in with mm-hmm. But also, and this is something I think actually where the workforce gets it wrong, because working part-time meant that moving up the ranks wasn't possible for me anymore. Yeah because you have to work full-time if you yeah. want to move into a more managerial mm-hmm. position, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I was stuck in this place of being a senior social worker and there was nothing new for me to learn. There was nothing new for me to grow into. Mm. Add to that my drive to want to spend more time with my child and have a, a job that would fit around his needs. It was kind of the perfect storm. So I re- decided, let me see what what it could work and I'm really into food. Let me retrain as a nutritional therapist. So that's what I did. And I started my blog to kind of, you know, showcase my my recipes and also have like a a recipe archive to share with clients. Once I graduated, that was the plan. Of course, once I picked up my camera, that whole plan, you know, fell to bits. Uh. I was madly in love with with the creative process and and realized that that had actually been the missing link, the missing piece.
0: Mm. Had you had a time in your life that you were really creative and then you kind of quashed that to go into social work? Or was this like a total awakening when you picked up your camera?
1: No, I had. So as a child, even into my college time, I danced. Mm. So, yes, I was a dancer. Mm. I, I did performing arts, really. And with it, dance was my specialty. Mm. I loved it, loved it, loved it. But, I mean, I, I was good. but I wasn't amazing. So mm. I knew it wasn't a career mm-hmm. thing I could do. But that had always accompanied me my entire life. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when you move to the city and you start working and then that had to die. And then when I picked up my camera, it was reignited, so to say.
0: Oh, that's such a great story. So first of all, if I could be good at anything, it would be dance. (laughs) Oh, I'm so moved by dance because it ties together so many, it ties together music And yeah, just the physical expression of your body. And even there's sacrifice involved in every dance in the sense that you put your body out there on the line. It's vulnerable. And I love knowing that you were a dancer. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you think there are themes that carried through your work as a social worker and then they kind of carried into this new aspect of photographing and styling food Certainly, I think the empathy. Yes, I
1: I think what you learn as a social worker actually is listening skills. That's mm. number one. You need to really be able to listen and tune in and really read between the lines of what people say or the comments that they leave or the emails that they send you. It's what are they actually going through? Or sometimes also students, you know, because I, I teach read photography now. So, what are they? What are they struggling with? Yeah. So they're saying they can't do A, B, and C, or is it is it something else? Is that that they're fearful of trying that, or that they they want it to be perfect and they're too scared to try? So, you know, those kind of little, you know, those uh, going a little bit deeper. I think that my social work definitely helped me with that. Yeah, and then, although it's not directly food photography, I think doing the podcast having had that social work background, that listening and asking the right kind of questions, Mm -hmm. I think that definitely helped me as well in in being able to start the podcast and and for it to sound semi okay. Mm Oh, it's interviewing so many people as a social worker, countless people. Yeah. So those that's a skill that, you know, you you do need to to learn and that's part and parcel of of being a social worker. Yes. I definitely think so. and and I hope that the beating of my heart is is so fundamental of who I am as a human being and also who I am as a food photographer, who I was as a social worker. So I'm hoping that that comes through in my work as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think so. i mm-hmm. I think so. I think there's nothing ever that you lose, yeah. You don't lose time because you did X, Y, and Z. Like there's always something you take away and you carry over into the next thing that you do, a lesson learned, so to say. And, and I definitely feel those 15 years were 15 years well spent.
0: Mm, yeah. And it's easy to see also how that's of both listening closely and listening critically that's very much rooted in a childhood as a multiracial child in a, or as a dark haired child, you know, in a blonde classroom, you really had to pick up on a lot of cues and you constantly had to figure out how to survive in a place that was not really home.
1: Mm -hmm. Definitely. And the other thing is, you know, because we moved around a lot and then my mother was from somewhere else. My dad was from somewhere else. And then actually also to make matters even more complicated, we spoke English at home. So it was, all, you know, it's this mish, mishmash that I can't really say that there is somewhere where I belong. You know, yeah. like there isn't, like if I go to South America, they they say, yeah, gringa. Como una gringa. you sound like a like a mm. North American person. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, you know, when I'm here, people say, oh, you sound like you're from, from the U.S. And then when I'm in the U.S., they're like, why do you, like, you don't sound like you're from here. Oh, so there's never okay. like a place. But, but in a way, that's also just who I am, you know. That's also part of my identity that I can kind of you know, I have a very large white audience. I have a very large white audience. And then I have a very large non-white audience. Mm -hmm. And I think because everybody can see a little bit of themselves, Mm. which is quite nice, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the role that food has played in that and first of all, you gave me this recipe for this Colombian black bean stew, a veganized Colombian black bean yes. stew, which is just the most, you know, nourishing, at home, pantry, delicious, what else could you want <laughs> stew <laughs> in the world? And I'm curious why you chose a Colombian stew, given the fact that it was not the Colombian parent that raised you. What made you make that choice?
1: Because, you know, as I said, when I look in the mirror, I see Mm. a Hispanic woman. And it's really, when I graduated from from high school, I had this really strong urge to actually go to South America. Mm. And I had been to South America lots, but never to Colombia, because as I was growing up, there was a civil war there, and it was very, very dangerous. Mm. And then when I graduated, I went to Ecuador, Where I met my husband actually. And then just a few years ago, I went to Colombia for the first time, Mm -hmm. you know, as a grown woman. And it was so interesting because when I arrived there, I remember stepping off the plane and being like, oh my God, everybody looks like me. You know, like for the first time having that experience, being like, Oh my goodness. And so I just feel that it is a even though it's just a huge part of who I am. Yeah. And then also the other thing is, it's also my most popular recipe <laughs> on the website, which is so ironic because mm-hmm. I would you would think it's my, one of my layer cakes or, mm-hmm. you know, like brownies and cookies. It's a humble yes. black <laughs> bean stew. And mm, so what
0: does that tell us?
1: Exactly like mm-hmm. you know we don't have to be fancy we can mm-hmm. just be and i feel this recipe is really very much me on a plate mm. <laughs> you know it's very much me on a plate mm-hmm. and, and also it's delicious and i've never met somebody who doesn't love it <laughs> <I>
0: love <laughs> no it you're right you really don't need anything else when you have a stew this delicious with just plenty of flavors plenty of layers and full of fiber and just just filling and nutritious and earthy and homey. You're right. Yeah. You don't need anything else. Mm. <laughs> Did your mom make it for you or was it something that you discovered later?
1: It's something I discovered later, but I have to say beans, lentils, these sort of stew type foods, they're really very popular across South America and the Caribbean. So it's it's not particularly unique to Colombia, there's different versions and variations throughout Latin America, Central mm-hmm. America. So we had uh, lots of similar-ish type of stews, mm-hmm. and um, the one that my mom used to make was actually with with uh, red beans. Mm-hmm. With um, actually, I think you call them kidney beans. Mm-hmm. They were kidney beans, kind of similar-ish, and we ate that a lot. And then rice was also a huge staple, and rice really goes with this with this dish. Mm-hmm. And rice was a you know, we had a rice cooker. Rice was a daily, a daily staple in the house, mm. and food was a huge thing in in my home anyway. And and after my mom left, she she used to work at for uh, in the airline industry, mm. and when she left that, she set up her own fine dining catering business. So you can really? imagine, like, yeah. And and my sister has a vegan donut shop that she really? runs. yes. So food wow. is. Huge. In our family. Huge and always has been.
0: Yes, it wasn't such a leap at all, was it?
1: You know, when you pull all the dots together, Mm -hmm. like actually... It's it's a long-winded story, but it kind of makes sense. You know?
0: Oh, it absolutely <laughs> makes sense. Yes, it's like one of those, it's funny you say, yeah, it's like one of those dot-to-dot pictures where it exactly. looks a little blurry and then you draw the lines and you're like, well, it was right there all along. Exactly. <laughs> it makes perfect exactly. sense. Now, exactly. tell me again the name of the island in the Caribbean that your mom was from.
1: Curacao.
0: Curacao, yeah, okay, and you—it's part of the ABC
1: Islands, so it's Aruba. A lot of people know Aruba, Uh and then Bonaire and Curacao, and they're these three islands, Dutch islands, tiny, tiny, and they're paradise, really. Gorgeous, gorgeous beaches. And yeah, so the official language is Dutch, but then there's a Creole language, Papiamento, which is what most people speak as well as Dutch. And then because it's just off the coast of Venezuela, most people speak fluent Spanish. And because the tourism is the main way that they, you know, earn their, their income, everybody speaks English as well. Okay. So how many languages do you speak, Kimberly? So... I would say three now, three that I speak confidently and fluently. Wow. And then two, so I speak obviously fluent English, Spanish, and German. Those I speak fluently. Wow. And then I grew up speaking Dutch, but I don't speak it anymore because when we moved, I was 10. And then, Mm. yeah, I can understand everything, but I've lost, I've lost Mm. it. And then my mom actually remarried Mm -hmm. and- the dad that raised me is Portuguese. Mm. So, but I'm not fluent. Like I couldn't hold a conversation Mm -hmm. at an adult level in Portuguese, but I understand everything. Mm.
0: So you can understand five languages. Yes. That's amazing, Kimberly. That's a, you are a superhero. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I'm teasing. That's amazing. That's just amazing. So what kind of flavors and cooking influences came from Curacao? Curacao. So, yes, so we had, so a lot of stews,
1: a lot of stews, Mm -hmm. rice with everything, fried plantain with everything. Mm. And for me, what's really interesting is like, there's this whole situation now with avocado. Everybody loves avocado. (laughs) We had avocado with everything, but not Mm. on like as a accompaniment or (laughs) as part of a salad, like always. And then because my mom was in the airline industry, she traveled a lot. And so you know, picked up things in that process. And I think she got really into Japanese cooking well before it was trendy. Really? and Yes. And I do think, so if you look at the blog, there's quite a few Japanese, Chinese inspired dishes, because we just love that as a family, we traveled there as well, and Japan not, but you know, the Far East. Mm-hmm. And so I do think there's little elements of that kind of Peeking its way. And then, of course, Curacao has a large Hindu population. So they do a lot of curry type dishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the spices and things like that. So yeah. it's, a, it's, it's such an amazing place and yes. s- culturally so rich. Yes. It's incredible.
0: Yeah. And the recipes were made in similar ways. I think so often, so like Americanized food, for instance, does draw on a lot of cultures, but we always find a way to shortcut it. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing in the islands and in your home, the flavors came and also the techniques. They were mm-hmm. you, you, your mom was willing to make them in a way that infused the spices from the beginning and layered flavors over time.
1: Absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. And then also we used to go and spend time with my, at my grandparents' home. And, you know, my grandma, until the day she died, essentially cooked every day from scratch. You know, that's what I remember her just being in the kitchen, you know, cooking yeah. from scratch always. And, you know, my mom learned from her and we we picked that up. We picked up that palette, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like your palate was really, there was no continent that didn't touch your palate. <laughs> Because, <laughs> Do you feel like you pull on all of that now? Does that make you a better food photographer, do you think?
1: So I'm not afraid of shooting the foods that most people don't like to yeah. shoot.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I'm
1: not afraid of the stews and the, the curries and, yeah. and, you know, quote unquote gloopy foods, mm-hmm. the Caribbean things or the foods from India, Pakistan. I'm very comfortable in that because... I, I understand those textures. I understand those, I understand them. You yeah. know, I, I I know them. They're familiar. So it's comfortable for me. Yeah. And I also love, this goes back to, you know, wanting to be seen. Mm. I also love taking something that nobody would think about as being special. Yes. And make it look so good that everyone's licking their screen. I love that. I yes. love that. Yes. And, so and it's not to say that I don't love the layer cakes and all the things I do, but I love the underdog. I yes. love these,
0: you know? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And you want to honor that with your photography. And you know, yes. I say this sometimes about the recipes that my guests give me because none of them are photogenic at all. <laughs> but I always say they have been beautified by the lenses of love. They absolutely have. And you have found a way and you teach others how to look at the dish through those lenses. Yes, that's it. Mm -hmm. I can't say it on the other way. You nailed it. So Mm, wonderful, wonderful. So still on this too, but talking about your journey, um, both as a food photographer and just as a person. You said in Colombia, you could eat this with any manner of proteins, um, in addition to the bean and rice protein, the bean protein, but you have veganized the stew. So tell mm-hmm. me when that came about in your life and how, again, that sets you apart as a food photographer and educator.
1: Yes. Yeah, so actually what happened was after I, I gave birth to my son, I hadn't done nothing major, but I had some health and eagles that I I wasn't feeling myself, which is quite normal, I guess, you know, you've just given birth to another human being. Yeah. But I did some research and I did some looking in and watched some movies and read some books. And the long short of it was that I decided to try changing my diet to a mainly plant-based diet. And I loved how it made me feel. It's mm. also how I ended up then, you know, transitioning to be a nutritional therapist. So that's that vegan bit came before then. Mm. Um, So that was really how it started. I I tried it. I felt amazing. And I was like, I want to preach about this vegan stuff. This is good. It's making me feel really, really good. And that was kind of how that started. And then a lot of, so veganism, isn't really a very common thing in Latin America, so people are still trying to wrap their heads around it. It's so a lot of things, especially stews. Even if they don't contain meat, mm-hmm. they will have a meat broth or chicken broth as their base, mm-hmm. you know. And and so I was like, you know, what if we just make it with a veggie broth as the base and just take that out and see what happens and see how we can still make the flavors really delicious. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and and all of my food, also in my book, Creative Food Photography, all of it is vegan as well. Mm. And it's just it's just how I eat and and yeah. the food that I love.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a, a guiding star for you at that at this point. It's and just it's, part of your identity. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I would love to talk a little bit about your career and just, you know, again, now that we kind of have this, this origin story, we really do understand a lot about and what shaped you. And, you know, you started, like you said, you were going to kind of blog a little bit. You were going to be a nutritional therapist and then slowly, but surely you became a blogger. You worked with brands, you, Really, really got into the education piece of Mm -hmm. things. How did you make your decisions as you progressed through your career? So, when at any point any of us are faced with a dozen ideas, a dozen Mm -hmm. things we can pursue, and one of the things that I think is a hallmark of you and your work and your career is focus. You are all in and your message is clear, it's never a surprise. Like, oh, I didn't know Kimberly did that. You know you, you know what Kimberly does and she does it well. How did you decide at each point in your career, here's where I go next. I know what to do next. What do you think is your process? So, does that question make sense? Makes total sense. Yeah. So,
1: I would like to answer that that in three parts. So for me, and this is actually something I notice Mm. that my students do sometimes, or my mentoring clients do sometimes, Mm. is a lot of us self-sabotage. So we'll say, okay, I want to start a podcast, and then it doesn't quite... Take off, and then we start slacking on it or don't really release the episodes. Or so we can say, you know what, like I wanted to do it, but you know, I didn't really. So I didn't really try, and you know, that's why I failed. And it's a way of self sabotaging and also not having to deal with the pain of
0: something, yeah, not working. rejection. That's
1: exactly that's not me. Like, I'm really if I fail, then I fail flat on my mm. face. And I fail big time because I always go in a hundred and ten percent. Cause I I I never I don't want to self-sabotage. I want to give that idea a chance to grow. Mm. I want to give it a chance. I want mm. to give it my all. And if I fail, then I can hold up my hand and so say, you know what? I tried my bestest mm. and it wasn't meant to be. Then the second thing is I have I'd say I'm very hard, but there's also a huge component of me that is very business. Mm-hmm. So the hard part of me is I've left my nine to five to pursue my own thing. I'm now my own boss. So I need to be a good boss to myself mm-hmm. and do something that actually makes me happy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If there's anything in my business that's no longer fulfilling me, then why on earth am I doing this? Mm And Why am I punishing myself? Like Why am I being a horrible boss to myself? Mm -hmm. I just need to let that go. Mm -hmm. And then the other component is, the business side is, what is my audience actually wanting from me? Mm -hmm. What are they asking me? Are they asking me to write a cookbook? No, no one has ever asked me in my audience to write a cookbook. Mm -hmm. So even if I've dreamt of it all my life, it doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense business sense, not at the moment to do that. Mm. You know, I haven't dreamt of writing a cookbook all my life. I'm just making that <laughs> up as an example. But I hope you understand my point. Like what is actually, what does my audience want? Yes. If they keep asking me for a food styling course once, twice, 10 times, then it makes business sense <laughs> to create that thing it, that they're asking yeah. for. Exactly. Yeah. And so, really, those are the three things that I think about as I embark on on Mm. the next step. Mm.
0: And that third thing is so easy to see that, again, it's the strength that came from the very, very beginning, the strength of communicating by being first a listener comes in. Mm -hmm. How about this first part, this commitment, this unwavering commitment that you will not self-sabotage? Do you think that that is just you were born that way? Or do you think you saw that over and over again from your mother or from certain experiences?
1: I know that I need to give everything. And mm-hmm. when I do, and if I do it with a lot of passion, mm-hmm. that something will come of it. I just mm-hmm. know it. <laughs> you know? you just I believe just, that. I just believe it. Mm. I just believe. and And sometimes also it might not be the thing that I think it's going to be. So mm. let's take the blog as an example. Mm-hmm. So I started the blog with the aim of, I'm going to do this so that when I graduate, I'll have nutrition clients. Mm-hmm. That's not actually where the blog took me, but I knew I had to do something, Yeah, start something. It will lead somewhere. Yeah. It will not lead to a dead end. It will take me to where I need to go. And there will be a current and I go with that current and I follow the flow of the current and it'll take me somewhere. Mm-hmm. But I cannot, it's not in me not to do, yeah. not to execute yeah. because yeah. I'm fearful of a lot of things, especially around finances. I find that very scary. Mm-hmm. making find big financial investments and decisions, mm-hmm. but I'm not Fearful of failure. I'm Mm. not fearful of failure because I know I am nothing. I'm I'm a speckle. I'm a speckle in the universe. I'm just this little thing, this little moment in time. Mm. So I'm going to go for it. I'm going to live this life, you know? Mm. And so that's always, I just think I, I need to live, I need to breathe, I need to have an experience. That's and so because I know it's all gonna end, you know, like Mm -hmm. there is an end, and this is my opportunity to live the life that I was put on this earth to live, and I'm not going to not live it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it does make
0: the world (laughs) absolute sense. Fear does not rule you. So I have fear fear, failure.
1: But uh but fear failure doesn't, no. Yeah, no, yeah, because it's not scary. What is scary is not living your full life. Mm. I find that, you know, sometimes when I sit on the bus, I haven't sat on the bus since COVID, (laughs) I I may add, but, you know, when I sit on the bus and then we have – I don't know if you've watched the Bridget Jones movie, but there's this London Bridge that goes over the River Thames. Yeah. And so the. But I live south of the River Thames. So sometimes I sit on the bus and I look outside and I see all these people going to their nine to five as they move into the city. And I swear to you, their skin is gray. Mm. They're not living. They're not alive. And I always think I don't, I don't want to be that. I want to live, you know, so yeah. that's how I see things.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that so much. That's really powerful. That is really powerful. So, well, we. I just have two, two questions to wrap up. One is general, and then I want you to tell people specifically about what you're doing and where they can mm-hmm. find you and how you can benefit from all, how they can benefit from all the things you're doing. But we have talked about how your childhood, the hardships of your child shaped you. We've talked about how your heritage has shaped you. And we've talked about how having your son has, Mm -hmm. you know, significantly altered your life from the choice to go to veganism, to taking on this new career. And I'm wondering what you would want him if he was on a podcast and yes. he's, he's about 10 right now. He's 10. Ten, yes. Okay. If he was on a podcast in 20 or 30 years, what would you want him to say? This is how my mom shaped my childhood. And this oh. is why I am the way I am. You know, what of these <laughs> things that your mother and your childhood and your choices passed on to you? Would you want to pass on to him?
1: Oh my goodness. You mm. know, I think what I love about him, mm-hmm. and especially being a boy, and I do th- mm-hmm. I do take credit for this, he is so in touch with his emotions, mm-hmm. He's very in touch with his emotions, and just, you know, really empathetic. I love that in him. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, he is Hilarious! He is (laughs) so funny. That's great. And we always, we always compliment him. You know, I always point out to him all his strengths. Mm -hmm. So when he comes home, I said, "Oh my God, you're so amazing! You're so funny! You're so creative! That's my thing." I always say, "Oh my God, you're home! So glad the creative energy is back. The happy energy is back. The funny Mm -hmm. energy is back." Mm -hmm. So I, I want him to say that he felt loved, and Mm -hmm. that we always pointed out all his strengths and mm. you know that, that built his confidence.
0: Yeah. You said at the very beginning, the thing, the best thing you gained from your childhood was confidence. And you want to, with your words, just over and over and over, give him that confidence, yes, just yes. affirm him yeah, exactly. and build him up so he can then go exactly. on and do whatever he wants to do fearlessly, exactly. just like you've done. Exactly. Oh, I love it. It's the perfect answer. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh, what a good mom you are, Kimberly. You should be so proud. I hope so. I hope. I wish it came with Emmanuel, doesn't?
1: It and, sure um, doesn't. <laughs> you've got four, which is incredible. Kimberly,
0: I do have one last question, and I can't believe I put this in. How did you come up with the name The Little Plantation? Right. So...
1: <laughs> You know, it's really funny because it had to do with- I've plan-based. heard you
0: say you wish that you, you would yes, do it differently now.
1: I would do it differently. So, and I always say this to my students is I wish I had claimed my name. I mm-hmm. wish I had just called it Kimberly Espinal. You know, I I said, this is me. This is who I am. And, but I thought nobody knows who I am. Like, who is Kimberly? Like how pretentious, like she's naming a Kimberly Espinel photography. What's wrong with her? You know? Mm. So, but I wish I had claimed that name, but I really wanted to have something with plant, plant plant-based, a play on plants. And of course, every name I tried, it was taken. The URL was taken. Yeah. You know, or or green. I wanted something with green. You know, green kitchen stories was taken. Green, whatever, everything was taken. And then the little plantation. uh, You know, because I'm kind of short and (laughs) and cute, and and so I was like, you know what? Let me take that. And then I might change it. But let me just, you know, like when you spend three hours or whatever, three days looking for a name. Yeah. And you know, of course, I never ever thought of it in the context of what what it is yes you does now you know I never thought about colonization of Wind. yeah I was like never that that didn't even occur to me like it yeah. wasn't um but now I do get some dms usually actually from white women I have to mm-hmm. say who want to lecture me about what a plantation stands for <laughs> and, <laughs> I have thought about changing it. I may do. I may do. But the problem is that my SEO, so my search engine optimization to the blog, is incredible. And um, it's how I get, you know, a vast majority of my business is through my blog and my SEO. And so I I did that before where I changed my URL or moved, you know, a side hustle that I had my yoga teaching. And in that process, lost all of my SEO and the business died. Oh, yeah, which was fine because you know i would grown it. But after ten years of, you know, and I was like, you know, I, I can't risk that. Yeah, and so I feel that my actions speak loudest. Yes, louder than the name of my blog. My only yes. concern is causing offense and hurt yeah. to the black community. That's my only you know, my only sticking point where I was like, oh, I don't want to hurt them. And for them, I would want to try and change it. So we'll see how we go. Um, Yeah, we'll see how we go. But Mm -hmm. that's kind of the story behind that. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I appreciate that. And there is a lot you do to, like you said, your actions are all about inclusivity. And I think that's probably why you don't get a lot of DMS, (laughs) because that is clear. So yes. So for everyone listening, I just think that they are going to feel if they don't already know you, they're going to feel so connected to you right now and want to learn more want to access all that you have to offer. So tell everyone where to find you how to find you and what what what's exciting you about 2021.
1: So, the very first thing that I'm super excited about is on January 7th, my book, Creative Food Photography. How to Capture Exceptional Images of Food Comes Out. Yay! So if you live in the UK or the EU, you can get it on Amazon. If not, the book depository is the place to go Oh, okay. it's worldwide. So that's the place to go and order the books. I'm super excited about that. Mm-hmm. People can always connect with me on Instagram where I am, The Little Plantation. And if they enjoy podcasts, I've got a podcast called Eat Capture Share, which is also the name of my Instagram food photography challenge, which the next one runs in f- January, February. I don't know if this episode will come out in time, if not after that, always in the autumn. So it's one in the winter and one in the autumn and loads of fun. I love yes. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. It's a huge community building. So I just appreciate your time so much, Kimberly. I just really enjoyed this conversation and I do feel so much more connected to you and understanding what drives you. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Becky, for giving me this space to tell my story. It's honestly been a joy and an honor to be on your
0: podcast. Mm, okay. Well, we will be in touch. I, I know that this is your time of night to go start reading a book, so go relax, okay? <laughs> Thanks again to Kimberly for this vulnerable and inspiring interview. You can find all of Kimberly's contact information as well as how to buy her new book, Creative Food Photography, and how to join her community, the Eat, Capture, Share community, in the show notes over at com. Next week... We'll hear from Dorina Gilmore Young, author of several adult and children's books. We'll hear from Dorina about the way food has impacted her life and writing, and particularly how food and the family table was an integral part of the grieving and healing process for her and her four young daughters when she suddenly lost her husband four years ago. You do not want to miss this one, so please make sure you subscribe now. Finally, if you enjoyed today's episode, I will say this as clearly as I can. I need your help. I need you to share the episode with your friends and your family, to subscribe, and even if you'd be so kind, to rate and review. Each of these things means the world to me personally and helps me share my guest stories in their own voices and their own words more widely. Thank you and have a great week, my friends.